0: With the Leisure Man, the Leisure Man, the Leisure Man, The Leisure Man,
1: the leisure, leisure Man. Welcome to the Midweek Leisure podcast. I'm Andrew Perloff. He is Paul Paps. We got a lot going on this week. We got football. Hut hut hut. Got NASCAR. It's all happening, Paul.
2: We're going to talk to Josh Norris a little bit from NBC. We like this guy. We have no idea how old he is, but he's a really good, he's a thoughtful, he's a thinking man's football guy. Yeah. You know, he's, he seems educated, Josh So
1: Norris. I've been listening to his podcast, the Roto World Football podcast, mm-hmm. excellent stuff. I saw him the other day at the studio. He's sneaky
2: jacked. He is a big kid. He doesn't have a, like, if you look him facially, you think, well, there's a kind of a, no offense, doughy guy. Yeah, I and, bet he, yeah, he's not. I'm a doughy guy, I could say that. But he's got some big arms.
1: I'll bet you he can bench 250. 250? 225. I think he's a former football player. Let's
2: set the over-under at 235. Okay, you going under, I'm going over? I'm going slightly under because I think, I think he may be not lifting like he used to.
1: Okay, and our other guest, NASCAR
2: commentator Jeff Burton. This guy is a great, was a great NASCAR driver, a great commentator for NASCAR and NBC Sports, but he has always been kind of the thinking man's NASCAR driver. Back in the day, did I mention I worked with Tony Stewart? They always said that <laughs> Jeff Burton was the best talker in NASCAR. Like, he would always talk to the reporters and give them a, a thought-out answer and like to jab with reporters and discuss stuff. I always thought that Burton would end up being, like, president of NASCAR someday because he's a real bright dude.
1: Awesome. I uh, wonder... you th- I don't know how much he can bench, though, Paul. Burton? Yeah.
2: He, no, he's not a big dude.
1: No, no, I don't know if he... You know, these, some of the NASCAR guys are pretty jacked, like Carl Edwards, Carl but Edwards. I don't see it happen with Burton. All right, Paul, let's jump into the... Now, how do you want to phrase this well, game we're doing now?
2: We've already moved on from week one, and instead of week one overreactions, we're going to do what the Leisuremen want to see happen in a snarky way in week two. Can I start it? Please. Okay. Week two, my dream is... Dun, 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 dun. I want to see the Lions absolutely boat race the 49ers <laughs> for two reasons. Nothing against Jimmy Garoppolo, but Jimmy Garoppolo, everyone's in the, line, the camp where, oh, look at the Niners. They're going to win eight-plus this year. Lions, they're, you, you should see the articles in Detroit and nationally about Matt Patricia, the former defensive coordinator for the Patriots who's now with the Lions, who got roughed up the other night. Um, they're saying the Matt Patricia era is a disaster already. He has no control over this team. Bill Belichick was five and eleven his first year with the Patriots. He was didn't set the world on fire. He won the Super Bowl the following year. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, that's a great point. So I, I would love to see the Lions. But the problem is the Niners
1: lost two. That's the only thing. If the Niners had won big, this would be perfect. I kind of want to see the Niners reverse course because I was excited to see Jimmy G this year.
2: Would you advise Matt Patricia to shave and wear his hat forward in week? Two? No, no,
1: no. Oh, come on, he can't do that. He's got to. He's got to own that look. Mm. All right. What do you got? Okay. Uh, I think this is a quite obvious one. I'm in New York. All week long, I've been hearing the victory tour of the New York football Jets. Mm-hmm. I like the Jets. I'm a fan of the franchise or like the Eagles of the AFC. Uh, I like Sam Darnold. I like Todd Bowles. I am rooting against them, against the Miami Dolphins on sunday that would be now this is based
2: just on storylines and media people eating their words
1: yes this is nothing against the jets or pro dolphins we actually like darnold but something has to slow down this jets bandwagon because it is it is moving fast right
2: we live just outside new york city and i listened the other day and jets fans were Mm. it was like a parade (laughs) on monday and tuesday there and then they they just said you know look look at this team here we we uh we're we're finally in control. We finally took the, the, the podium away from the New York Giants. And what I really want to happen in conjunction with the Jets stinking this week and Sam Darnold having a bad game, I want Eli Manning to throw for five touchdowns because then Sports Radio New York yeah. will be totally twisted next week. Oh, absolutely.
1: Okay. Uh, the one next game I want to see reverse trends. Yes. I actually want to see the Seahawks beat the Bears because right now – and sorry, it's your Bears – it's okay. No one's talking about Russell Wilson. Everyone wrote him off like he's a disaster. It'd be fun to see him emerge as sort of that MVP guy. And I thought the Bears' love, even though loss, was a little heavy. It was a little fast. They got freezing cold takes in week one. I'm rooting, <laughs> kind of rooting for Russell Wilson because he's been embattled this year, Paul.
2: Okay, I'm going to go a little deeper on this one. I want Aaron Rodgers to not start for, for, um, for the Packers. I want Deshaun Kaiser to come in and just light up. Just light up the Vikings. All right, Perloff, you know what else I want to see? I'm going deep snark here. I don't want to see Aaron Rodgers miss the game against the Vikings. I think he should play. But from a snarky coverage mm. standpoint, I'd like to see them rest Aaron Rodgers. Deshaun Kaiser, who was jettisoned by the Cleveland Browns, I want to see him get in and, <laughs> and light up the Minnesota Vikings' vaunted defense in a Packers win to go 2-0 and under Deshaun Kaiser because that would be the last thing people would expect.
1: Yeah, because it's not happening.
2: Right, right. Well, yes.
1: <laughs> well, know, the I'd like went, to see uh, when well, Nathan Peterman comes in the second half, I'd uh, like to see him throw four touchdowns. By the way, side topic, is there any way Josh Allen lasts through this Chargers and the next game at the Vikings without getting hurt in somewhere in there?
2: Look, here's, here's Josh Norris. Let me let – me, hold on one second. We're going to take a quick break, yeah. and we're going to bring in Josh Norris here on The Leisureman. All right, Leisureman Podcast continues. Paul Papps, Andrew Perloff, Josh Norris of NBC Sports. you got the Roto-World Podcast. How do people find the podcast there, Norris?
3: Just search the Roto-World Football Podcast on whatever platform. It's on Spotify, Overcast, iTunes, all that good stuff. All right,
2: do you want a football question about you about football first, or do you want a question about your physique first? Which one do you want to knock out?
3: Physique, definitely. We don't have to talk football.
2: Okay, Perloff, what, what's your th- uh, thesis on Josh Norris? Uh,
1: Josh is sneaky strong, in my opinion
3: um have you okay i i'm not How, height and weight 5'11 and a half 200 okay that's 200 stock i've a- got i've got tree trunks for legs quadzilla over oh there. so okay. okay so i thought you had a big bench but you might have a big squat Okay, Perloff, this is something that this summer NBC Sports decided to send me out to try stuff to figure out how hard could it be. Mm-hmm. So I went to the CrossFit Games and tried to do those workouts. Mm. I went to the Lumberjack World Championships and fu- and tried to do those competitions, and they ended horribly. Right. This is all on YouTube. It's but, on NBC Sports' page if you want to check it out.
2: Is that s- about skill or is that about strength? Because we're, we're only talking like if, if I need someone to move a couch,
3: you seem okay. like a good guy. No, I'm not a functional human. Huh. Really. I, I mean, I, I have no— uh, stamina when it comes mm. to that stuff. I used to cramp up very easily. I used to not warm up before lacrosse because <laughs> I would cramp up at halftime. You're a lax guy. Yeah. Oh, oh absolutely. Oh. I mean, North Carolina lacrosse, so it's not quite you know this area. It's lacrosse. a tough sport though. I loved playing lacrosse. Absolutely loved it. But no, I I used to cramp up like both legs in the middle of the night, all that kind of stuff. And my combine workout is on YouTube as well. If you want to check that. So out. wait, okay, It was video. awful.
1: What was your bench? How many times did you get two twenty five
3: okay,
1: up? Okay, so when I
3: we have a bet on this, by the way, there were different points in life. Okay, are you talking about my peak? Yes, peak, your high, peak, your peak. Press. Peak. Okay, so senior year of high school, I was two thirty five and jacked. Oh, so that's awesome. that's where it comes yep. from. and that was that was probably two twenty five six times. Oh, so what's your?
1: We said that your number, you know, your max one time. I said 225? over two two thirty
3: five, right? Oh, I could have done that yeah, at I, that time.
2: If you're putting two twenty five up six times, you could probably do.
3: Two sixty once. Now I can't do two twenty five once at all. So that, what if I gave you a month to get ready? You know you can't deep down. Not during football season. Like if, if there was if there was something at the end of this, right? Like if I got to hang out with you guys for a week afterwards, no. yeah, I would. How <laughs> facetious is that? <laughs> yeah. All right, Norris. Let me get right at, to this
2: because we're talking about Josh Allen starting in Buffalo. Yeah. If you were the GM of the or the owner or the coach of the Buffalo Bills, would you say, hey? we're not competing for a title this season. Let's protect our new franchise guy, Josh Allen, and wait till midseason, kind of like the Jared Goff plan years ago. Yeah. And then you also put yourself in position
3: for a top-five draft pick, or would you start him immediately? Immediately? I'm one of these people that I, I don't believe that, like, sitting and waiting is a real thing. Um Now, that's easy for me to say sitting at this desk (laughs) with all of you and not behind that Bills offensive line.
2: Do you look at it any differently based on the quarter? Because Sam Darnold played football at USC, a lot of high-end games against high-end talent. Josh Allen at Wyoming played an occasional game against high-end talent. Do you look at that any differently?
3: Totally, and I'm not trying to equate it to, like, any other job, but in many situations, to me, you only get better at something the more repetitions and opportunities that you have. Um, Again, Not to equate it to what I do, but just doing television stuff, just doing things like this. I used to be bad at this five years ago, right? And maybe I still am. But at least least you can learn from your mistakes. It's out there to see. And you can pick up tendencies and flaws and things to work on. And I, I think that that can be the same thing in the NFL. Look, I, I'm not one, one that believes that a quarterback can just sit at the practice field and hold a clipboard and they don't get reps in practice. I think the best way for them to improve and where strengths can get stronger, maybe weaknesses can get a little bit better, is just playing it. As, as long as mentally they can handle it. And that's something that we just don't know, obviously. All right,
1: but, you know, you're a fantasy expert. If someone said, hey, you know, I want to draft Josh Allen, other than the fact that he can run really well, that offense you'd be insane to get to buy in <laughs> any part of that offense. everyone and I listen Peterman played terrible but everything yeah. around him
3: could not be worse totally I mean it's a it's a bad team right now and defensively where they've you know put and invested draft picks and money and all that good stuff it was horrible against Joe Flacco and the Baltimore Ravens who are not some offensive juggernaut maybe unless they've changed completely uh, so the Bills team is just not good. They're not good. I mean, they even traded Cordy Glenn to hopefully get into position, which they did in the first round. And so their offensive line is is worthless. It's bad right now. And there's nothing for him to succeed in in that first year. But as you mentioned, I'm not sure if <laughs> if deep down – these this team knows that they're going to succeed like i don't think that they do mm. do you i mean i kind of equate it last year for them going to the playoffs remember a few years ago when ryan fitzpatrick was at the jets yeah and mike mccagnon todd bowles like their first year there i believe or was it was at rex they they went they went to the playoffs yeah and that raised the expectations sure. for that entire team for multiple years that they could never reach again
1: how good do you think tyrod taylor is we debate this all the time Fantasy, I know he's effective because he runs a lot. Yeah. but a Konami code. as uh, He wasn't good (laughs) last year as the Bills quarterback. Even the playoffs, the dude scored three points in a playoff game, and still I feel like everybody's into him. And he hung in there last week. Uh, Paul, I want you to answer this too. I'm curious where everybody – where are we as a group in this room with Tyrod Taylor? uh, uh,
2: He can't get you to the promised land. He can get you to the Hmm. mid-level land. Perloff has a theory, especially on the Bills, and I think he's right. I've come around to it, that you have to be bad to get great and that the mm. bills knew that hey we're in the tom brady era mm-hmm. we're not winning anything in the next two or three years so mm-hmm. let's let's dump some stuff and go for a six seven eight year plan maybe where we get this big arm quarterback and we're back in the draft top five next year we know it our fans know it and we have a very loyal fan base but josh allen someday in the post tom brady era can, maybe can get us to the promised land and we don't really care about this year
3: yeah kind of like the take one step back to take two steps forward the approach. 76ers approach I I could buy it. Um, Now it would be more uplifting to me if the quarterback wasn't Josh Allen. But that's kind of just my own individual evaluation. Quickly with the Tyrod Tyrod Taylor stuff, (laughs) I think he's a top 32 quarterback in the NFL. Hmm. And I think the fact that his team always wants to replace him (laughs) is why people get defensive of him. Right. You know, like he's not the guy for them that they see long term, but he's a, a starter in the NFL. So, I, I I do believe that because of that, people attach themselves. He's like, look, he's not as bad as his coaches and GMs and whoever trying to get rid of him. That right. he's a capable starter. I
2: right, just like you, Josh. I love week one overreactions. Yes. and I try to avoid them, but it's tough because when you're in the swimming pool, you swim. And which is your which um, week one overreaction that I've read over the past three days? Do you think has legs? Dak Prescott is not a franchise quarterback. Or the Lions made a uh, mistake hiring Matt Patricia, who is not a head coach. Which is your favorite? And it might have legs.
3: <laughs> the, the second one with Matt Patricia, I mean, could it be any earlier to say that? <laughs> right. I, it's it's impossible to know. And then as soon as they lose by however many points it was, reports of, well, the veteran players didn't like him because of how difficult. Like the headline was so difficult to then what it actually was because he was strict during training camp. Well, of course.
2: Yeah, That's why you we're, hire a guy from the from. Belichick tree. Yeah, we don't like a strict coach as Lions. <laughs>
3: okay, <laughs> what, what about this one? Here's another possible overreaction. Will Ryan Fitzpatrick give back the starting job when Jameis Winston returns from suspension? Ooh, well, they're going against a Nick Foles-led Eagles team this week. I mean, the
1: Eagles are not the Eagles. So, yeah, if he goes 3-0, he is the starting quarterback.
2: Okay, I always look at stuff with quarterbacks and I always have to bring the money in, and you guys get this. Yes. Okay, Jameis Winston is getting paid, like, how much this year? Uh,
1: oh, fourth year of rookie or third year of rookie. So it's probably
3: like 12 or 13 or 14, is something he, like that?
2: Does he have one more year on his contract, an option year? Two.
3: Yeah, I believe it's this year Post the option.
2: Okay. Right. So if they were We could ever, easily
3: look this up on computers. Right,
2: but that's no fun. <laughs> but if they wanted to work their way out of Jameis Winston, now they have an opening maybe. If the Tampa buccaneers think that this guy is not our future and we don't want to pay mm. him and we don't want to give him that because whatever contract he gets next, it's yeah. either going to be big or none. There's no
3: middle ground. Totally. Absolutely. And, and the team has to self-evaluate. And it, it comes to the time when self-evaluation is probably one of the most difficult things in the NFL, right? The same thing goes for Marcus Mariota, man. Like, I was Marcus Mariota's biggest advocate mm. coming out of school. And I kind of laughed at how the—and I mean, I'm being honest here— how the Jared goff carson Wentz draft class was talked so positively about compared to the Marcus mariota Jameis Winston one. But I think it was because coming out those were at least proven players, we thought, because they were big programs that had been starting for quite a while, whereas the other two had not been, um, at least at a high level. But Marcus hasn't played well, like, yeah. he, and he's been injured. But he does it quietly. Like there's no,
2: he's <laughs> Exactly. No, he has no baggage. and he, he, I always liked Mar- Mariota because he seems like a nerd, and he seems like he stays home on a Saturday night watching tape. And I always thought that would translate eventually.
3: The thing is, he's had— Excuses in the past, built in mm-hmm. excuses. Mike Malarkey was his excuse, right. right? No wide receivers was an excuse. No running game was an excuse. It's all gone now. And now he's Matt Lafleur, who obviously comes from Sean McVay's tutelage in some ways. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't succeed in that area, it's it's not going to be a a successful year one for the Titans, obviously. But two, he needs to like have a Jared Goff type season for them to have confidence moving forward in him.
1: I know. Paul, I become a regular listener of the Road to World Fantasy Football podcast. Thank you, and You're I tell Josh all the time. Now, one of the players that he is totally infatuated in love with is Titans receiver Taiwan Taylor, I believe. <laughs> so this is part of why. <laughs> it's he's, over.
3: Am I wrong about that? It's no, it's over. It's yeah. sadly, it's so over. Yeah, yeah. What's crazy though, ah. and this is this is what happens. It's over already. Well, this is what happens with the preseason, okay? So <laughs> what you see in preseason when you follow it on Twitter are, are just the beat writers saying, oh, man, this guy's making a play, and then right. they post clips of him and, like, <laughs> all his yardage during practices. And so he ran as a starter all throughout practice, ran as a starter in the first preseason game. Second preseason, his usage dipped a little bit, and then third preseason, he had, like, this awesome— or might have been the second—like, this awesome 40-yard catch that people asked me if I fast-forwarded. He was that fast. But then he started running behind Tajay Sharp, started running behind Rashard Matthews. <laughs> uh, he got like nine snaps in the season yep. opener. And so you go from, as you know and all the listeners know, that like, oh, I'm, I'm hyping up Taewon Taylor. It's Taewon time. And then you just have to stop talking about so it you're more because a, it never happens. You're
2: more of a preseason overreactor than a week one overreactor. 100%. I did a nice preseason overreaction about four weeks ago where John Kelly, the running back out of yeah. Tennessee, who's a good player. I saw him a lot in oh, the preseason yeah. with the Rams. Like, boy. They are really covered if uh, if something happens to Todd Gurley. And I think I said to Andrew Perloff, I go, you know what? Maybe they should think about a two-back offense. He goes, yeah. They just paid Gurley like a zillion bucks, yeah. and they're going to give him 11 carries a game.
3: And you know uh, John Kelly wasn't active on the first game, Of course too. he was. Of course he was. But I'm, I was a big John Kelly fan coming out. Of, oh, he's yeah. a great skateboarder, by the way. That's by what that attribute his balance to. Call.
1: Another guy that you I know you were into, and I have him on many teams. And this has NFL relevance. I don't think Leonard Fournette's going to be healthy this year. I, 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 I honestly don't think – I think the Jags are a Super Bowl team. I mean, there's no doubt. They are
3: so talented. Yep. But I don't see this Leonard Fournette experiment. Well, hamstring it. in week one is never a good sign. And, look, he, he looked awesome on his first 12 carries. And those 12 carries and 12 touches, I should say, were in the first quarter and a half. I mean, he would have finished that game with near 30 touches. And it would have been great. And now with his hamstring issue, we don't know how serious it is. But it's not like those things just go away during the season. I'm with you. I'm with so you. Are, 100%. Where are we as a room when the Jags is a Super Bowl contender? They're close, man. They have a pro bowler at nine positions. I don't want to be that guy. I'm going to be yeah. that guy. I just look at that offense with Blake Bortles and say, what if they just had Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback? Mm. But be, And here, here's the thing. With Blake Bortles, whenever you watch him, Think about this. Ask yourself when he made the decision to who he's going to throw the football to. And I would say at least eight out of ten times he made that decision as soon as he got the play call in his head or when he's breaking the huddle. Because <laughs> you see him right after the snap just focus on one person You re- and then maybe dump it off. That's probably the two out of the ten times. But he's, he's not someone that's going to – see what the defense is doing, and then deliver the football to the open man. He truly is one of the few quarterbacks in the league that's starting that does focus on a primary receiver each and every passing play. And that's an issue. Are you a
2: uniform guy? Do you get into, like, uh, the Rams had those, uh, what's it, the Jets had white face masks in week one? Those were hot.
3: Because you can't can't change your helmets anymore because they want it to be stable for concussion-related symptoms and stuff like that. But I guess you can change face masks and you can change decals. And so that's why the Rams, when they go with their old school unis, mm. can have the yellow horns right. on, and not just the gold ones. Who had the hip- or you know, uniforms the, the, the other
2: day? Perloff, that we liked, that looked like the movie "Remember the Titans." Was it oh, Titans? titans? <laughs> it was. <I> was <laughs> it would make sense. It would be Titans. Sense. I think they went "Remember the Titans" with their. Who has uniform. the worst
3: jersey?
1: By the way, you like that, and America did not like it as much as you. I, I like the, it. I think the the dolphin blue. Yeah. Pretty bad that when they Cause go because we're not sure with a lot of green. that new blue, we can't figure out. Paulie and I are
3: confused. There, there is one easy answer to this, and it's Tampa Bay.
2: Yeah, I, I was going to say Tampa Bay. Oh, modern oh. Tampa Bay with the Awful. digital clock dose, the, the worst. If they go back, if let's say they announced before next season that they're going back to the cream school uniforms, would you bump them up in your power rankings?
3: Yeah, I mean, consciously or subconsciously, absolutely. Right. Uh, it's a factor, you know, you, you have to, but and I think that's kind of going back, isn't it? Kind of the because look at the the Jags. The Jags went from like these gaudy uniforms to last year having like the the two color half helmet, and half. To now they just like have block numbers, and right? That's it. Like it's the most simple. Uniform and now in the they're league. more of a threatening team based Let's on see. how they look.
1: Okay, uh, I enjoy doing this alone, but I, I'd like to have you in the room. Careful, okay. crushing Paulie's <laughs> spirits by pointing out uh, uh. going back to week one when the Bears were a uh. Super Bowl favorite at halftime, and then all of a sudden <laughs> they're own one. You got any thoughts on Seahawks Bears, the Monday night game? I do. Is little Paul Paps from the south side of Chicago <laughs> gonna be celebrating?
3: Or you is will that be. gonna be a tough one? Look, uh, name the Seahawks right tackle. It is someone Jermaine Effetti. There you go. Because every football analyst in the world is saying Jermaine Effetti has no chance. Exactly. Mm. It's gonna be a bad day for Jermaine Effetti because here's the thing with Khalil Mack. Like we talk about him in the same vein as Von Miller and a lot of top rushers throughout the league. But the main difference with him is he often lines up on the right side, you know? Mm-hmm. And so over top of that right tackle, and this is just a generic statement, left tackles on teams are, are have more skill than right tackles, almost universally. So when you put Khalil Mack on the right side, uh, that will make it a long day for obviously the right tackle. H- how the Bears defense will have to take the next step. They are very talented at every single level, but they need to find – and they have him potentially, the rusher that can be the counterpart to Cleo Mack. Obviously, in the interior, it's Akeem Hicks. But on the other side, Leonard Fournette did absolutely nothing against the Green Bay Packers, and that can help Leonard Floyd. Second. Leonard Floyd. I say Leonard Fournette. I think he did Leonard Floyd. We'd love to have Excuse him. Excuse me. i yeah. <laughs> well, Jordan Howard's but, pretty good. But but Floyd. But Floyd on the on the opposite side needs to create some type of pressure, mm. either to clean up sacks or create pressure to force them out of the pocket as well. Why do not other teams put their best pass pressure on? There? Is that starting to happen on the right side if that they have a weaker tackle? It's probably a comfort though. thing. It truly is because it's the same thing with left tackles and right tackles. You know, I, at least me growing up playing Madden, I used to think nice. that you can just you know switch a guy from the left side to the right side. But it's totally not right. because think about it. When you're taking your drop set with your right foot, you're, you're pushing back with your right foot. Okay, mm. opposite side is left, and then with the balance and then the power with uh, keeping your left arm in if you're on the right side uh, <laughs> to that interior rush, and then verse it's on the opposite end. You know, so it's it's everything's flipped everything's inverted and that has to be super donald penn's doing it right now a guy that's been in the league for 10 plus years switching from left to right and he's having issues because of it it's not an easy transition i was playing madden about four
2: years ago five years ago and i traded at jay cutler straight up for dan lefevre out of central michigan <laughs> and i got a bunch of other stuff oh trade. my gosh and lefevre was really good in madden he could move sure. he could move he didn't throw deep but he was a really nice madden player and he didn't translate in the pro do you know
3: who i used to always trade for this is a long time ago I used to trade all the Panthers running backs like Deshaun Foster, uh, Stephen Davis, and I would run Michael Bates oh. because Michael Bates had like ninety-nine speed. Wow! Because breakaway guy, exactly because Olympian, correct? And wow. so I I would just run him over and over and Did over. Did you
2: edit his break ta- tackle breaking ability?
3: Did no, you? but then every once in a while you would build that massive guy that like just S- runs over everyone. Or a six nine defensive
2: end. Yeah. Hey, real quick, which was more irresponsible: the Dallas Cowboys not taking a, a wide receiver in round one of the draft? Yeah. When all, I think all of them were on the board still. Yep. Ridley, uh, the kid from uh. D.J. Moore. Yep. Or the Seattle Seahawks not taking an offensive lineman in the first four rounds of the draft, which was more irresponsible.
3: Uh the New York Giants taking a running back <laughs> second overall and not a quarterback. So glad you're with us on this. That that's truly we talked about it. We just talked about it with the Philadelphia Eagles, we just talked about it with uh LA Rams, a number of these other teams. When you are in a position in the top ten, you must take a quarterback if you're in need of yep. one immediately yep. or a year later. Because your goal is is not to be selecting in the top 10 again. So take the chance when you have it. And the Giants certainly might not be in that position anymore to land their top one or two guys. And sure, maybe, and and it certainly doesn't seem like it, it certainly seems like they were just locked in and taking Saquon Barkley. And long-term, don't you agree that's just going to be viewed as a mistake? And I'm not not putting down Saquon at all. Like, he's a great running back. But we even saw Eli miss on throws in week one that could have won them the game.
2: I also think that it could get worse before it gets better. Like, seven years from now, Saquon Barkley could be out of football. There's a decent chance of yeah. that based on odds, just based on odds. And Sam Darnold could be hitting his prime. Yep. And then you've got to hear about it 11, 12, 13 years from now. Because forever. They're, they're intertwined
3: forever. Totally. I'm totally with
1: you. Well, by the way, I don't, I'm not with you on the wide receivers because DJ Moore, I don't expect anything out of Ridley or Moore. I mean, yeah. I think there's only one bona fide Cortland Sutton's the man out of that class But Paul it's not like rookie wide receivers help the team. So I it's an, it's another problem like wide receivers are a long play
2: Well, I just thought because this year specifically you're like, right. They I took see. Vander Esch out of uh, BYU Yeah, They're you can't good. even oh, get on the field I don't think he's an, a guy that's gonna help you this year Maybe not even next year if you can have, if you could take the best wide receiver later in the first round It seems like a risk that's worth taking, whether it's Ridley or or whoever it may be.
3: I I believe ESPN and maybe it was Bill Barnwell just put up an article today, but there were other ones where uh, we've talked about this in the past where, you know, the the biggest area where you can improve your roster and it's kind of a cheat code in the NFL right now is a quarterback on a rookie pay scale. Yeah, and, and they just compl- we talked about that a lot. Yep, they just completely blew it with with Dak Prescott. Completely blew it with Dak Prescott.
1: Josh, I am very happy that you were over two thirty five at the peak bench press <laughs> in nice. <than> the day. Let <laughs> like, probably look at this guy. He's, we have a gym right next door, guys. I know. Like you'd walk into a bar fight with this guy behind you, right, Paul? Yeah,
2: because he's the guy. I guy- hate conflict. <laughs> you, right, but, well, but you would go. You, you're a bro. And you how would, many,
3: how many, how long have you been there? Let's put it that about
2: way. About <laughs> four drinks. But never two pitchers. Okay. That's not,
3: good. Not, not
1: above eight, but above four, so okay. you're in that good zone. Got it, like, got
2: Josh it. looks like a guy I wouldn't pick a fight with at a bar because he looks like an accountant. But What? He, <laughs> I mean that in a complimentary way. You look like a clean cut. you got a nice haircut. You probably okay. have a nice button-down shirt on when you go out with your pals. <laughs> okay. But... You used to throw up some threw some
3: iron around back. I, in the day. I I appreciate it. You guys are could not be more off, but okay. I love it. You're making me feel <laughs> That's great. That's the today.
2: leisure in a nutshell. You guys could not be more <laughs> off, but people love it. Thanks, bud. Let's uh, keep talking throughout the season. Absolutely, thanks, Later. guys. That was a lot of fun with Josh Norris from NBC Sports. He's a he's a true football guy. He's a thinking man's guy. Coming up in a little bit, we're gonna talk some NASCAR with Jeff Burton, the former driver who works for NBC Sports. But Perloff, it's tailgate season. Sure is. I was uh, I'm setting up one for October. Just letting you know. Rhode Island hosting Maine in a Northeast shootout. There's some pretty good football teams. Don't sleep. Do you know the date? Because I have October 20th, Dartmouth at Columbia. I'll go to that, but if you go to the week before, October 13th. Oh, we have a month. If you're going to have a tailgate, plan ahead. Don't be one of those guys who doesn't pick up food, drink. And if you're going to get some drinks for your tailgate, get some Guinness. There's lots of Guinness. It's not just the pub where you get a pint of Guinness, though you should. Go to your local package store, go to your local grocery store, get a 6 or a 12 of Guinness, and people walk up to your tailgate and say, whoa, 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 this is an amateur hour. This isn't some l- light beer that does nothing for me. Now you're getting me stressed. Like, are you hiding some of these beers? You, just, you can walk
1: up to a Paul Papps tailgate my and ta- grab a Guinness?
2: You can. I stage my Guinness at the tailgates. I front yeah. a few for show, mm-hmm. and then I keep the really good stuff, like the extra stout, in back more for me. That's why you are the most popular guy in the Yale parking lot. <laughs> Get some Guinness at your tailgate today. All right, Perloff, coming up this weekend, Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN, the first race of the 2018 Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. This is when the run goes on. This is when it gets serious. Joining us now, Jeff Burton, great driver, maybe even a better analyst for NBC Sports. Jeff, you're out in Vegas. If I gave you, and I know you're not a betting man, Harvick and Kyle Busch or the field to win the title this year, which would you take?
0: <laughs> I would take Harvick <laughs> and Busch. Uh, you know, I just say they've been, they've been excellent all year. Um, there's no reason that's going to that's gonna stop. I don't see it. They've, they've been consistently good. Um, you know, the thing about the championship, though, is you go to Homestead and you give a guy like Kyle Larson, if he could find himself a shot, you know, at Homestead, he's been really good there. Uh, you know, you get, you get down to one race and anything can happen. But when I just look at their ability to step up at big moments, uh, the experience of having been there, done that, uh, the speed they've had all year long; those those two are just the
2: favorites. It does feel like Harvick and Kyle Busch have separated themselves in the field. I mean, they're they're drivers who've been doing it for a long time. Does it work in NASCAR like other sports, where as a driver you have so much confidence coming into a Saturday or Sunday where you feel like you expect to win the race, not you think you might, you want to have a good points day, but where have you ever been in that zone where you walk in and say, this is this is mine today?
0: Hundred percent, and and you you walk into uh, events like that, one in moments, um, and I think that's what they do. I think that that the very best they walk into the playoffs, fully expecting to win, fully expecting uh, to go to Homestead and pull it off. Uh, the moment's not too big for them. Uh, they they relish in those moments where you know it's me against the world, uh, and if you think about it, that's kind of those two's mentality is is that. You know they kind of, uh, you know, they're a little bit rough. They they don't mind telling you what they think. They they kind of race with a chip on their shoulder. They they conduct themselves like that too, and uh, all that's beneficial to them. And and without a doubt, that that confidence, uh, and it's not arrogance. You know, arrogance is you're right. you're confident for no reason. <laughs> Those guys have reason to be confident. They're future Hall of Famers for sure. Uh, and, and when the chips are down, they, they've proven over and over and over they can get it done. All
1: right, Jeff, if I want to sound smart and pick maybe a bit of a dark horse mm. to come out on top, give me a name. You mentioned Kyle Larson. Is that the guy?
2: Make him look good.
0: So I'd go with Chase Elliott. Um, I, when I look at Chase Elliott and what he's been able to do this year, uh, he's been the leader of Hendrick. Um, He's been the guy that, that has carried Hendrick Motorsports. He was the guy when Chevrolet wasn't running all that well. Uh, he was still having decent runs. Uh, so I, I like I like what I like Chase Elliott. And I also like his, his crew chief. His crew chief has you know been there. Uh, Alan Gustafson's been there uh, 11 times. He's been in the playoffs eight straight. Uh, so I like I like Chase Elliott. He's a guy that that I would certainly look at and say he's the guy that can pull it off.
2: Do you compare the role of a crew chief to a NASCAR driver to a caddy, where if things are going wrong in a race or you're losing it, or if something's going wrong with the car, he calms you down and gets you to a place where you're focused on driving again?
0: So, so not all the time. Uh, some crew chiefs, that's not their role. Uh, some mm-hmm. crew chiefs, they let their spotter do that. You know, the spotter and the and the driver may have a really good personal relationship, and there's times that the the spotter needs to speak up and say, "Hey, man." Uh, get it together get your crap together you know you're you're letting this team down uh, you know whatever it is whatever motivating words that particular driver likes uh, sometimes that's a crew chief sometimes it's the it's the spotter uh, they kind of tag team it really uh, both both have a role and it's different in every organization you know some crew chiefs are uh, very engineer minded they're not um, you know not necessarily football coach leaders you know what I mean they're they're more engineer minded, and that's when I think the spotter needs to come in and be that guy. It's just, but it's just different from every single team, and some drivers don't need it. I mean, some drivers just quite simply uh, handle it by themselves, and the other drivers need help with it.
1: Well, what kind of driver were you
2: in that regard? You're chatty.
0: I was. I was. <laughs> um, I was very. Uh, I was an emotional driver, but I I raced more with my brain than I did with my right foot. Uh, so I really never really had a spotter that had to, you know, constantly, uh, calm me down and those kind of things. I was pretty, I was pretty calm. At least that's my, the way I viewed it. <laughs> All
2: right. Now, if you look at Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch, they're by far the favorites. Are there certain tracks, i I've I'm watching the, the chase, the playoffs, as you call it now, that it seems like the leaders or the favorites hang back so they don't get caught up in an early race wreck. What are the, the dangerous tracks for both Harvick and Bush for something like this?
0: Well I think I, I think this the, the, the road course at Charlotte Motor Speedway is going to be that's on everybody's mind. Um, you know, they took Charlotte Motor Speedway, it had a road course inside inside the racetrack and they've configured it so that uh, the cup cars are gonna run here in a couple weeks, they're gonna run that oh, road wow. course.
2: And is it that, is a how new how new is that, unknown. Jeff? Have you have you run that before?
0: So I've I've driven it in a in a uh, in a pace car. Uh, no one's ever no one's raced it before. Uh, it's a brand new <laughs> configuration. There's been a couple tests out there, and and every test has been wrecks, and every test there's been issues. Uh, and every single driver, when you talk about the playoffs, mentions that race. So mm-hmm. to me, that race, and then uh, Talladega. You know, historically, going into the playoffs, everybody always pointed at Talladega as being the wild card race. Well, now everybody's talking about this road course as well as Talladega. So those are the two that stick completely out. And and um, on the other hand, they're going to offer an opportunity for someone. Uh, They're going it's going to be an opportunity for someone that's gotten themselves in trouble in the playoffs uh, to be able to make something great happen and take advantage of other people's mistakes. So. Uh, but but that is, a, that is a, an unbelievable wild card that's been thrown at the drivers and the teams.
1: All right, Jeff, you're in Las Vegas. Now, a few years ago, my partner Paul Paps here <laughs> got to ride in a car with Matt Kenseth in Las Vegas, and I, he had to stop bragging about I,
2: it. I, so I did a ride along with Kenseth at the end, but I, they let me do the petty driving school where I took a bunch of laps and uh, yeah. I don't want to brag, Jeff, but uh, I hit 162 miles an hour. <laughs> would you give that a thumbs up, a thumbs middle, or thumbs down? And what's your top speed ever at Las Vegas Motor Speedway?
0: I would give that a thumbs middle. Uh, okay. But I always always, always wonder if you really went that fast or if they just told you that <laughs> to make you feel good.
2: Oh, man, don't blow that for me, Jeff, because they have a picture of the <laughs> speedometer. And, and 161, I felt like I was hauling, and, and then I get in the car well, with Kenseth, and he... Yeah. He gets us up to like 186 in about 10 seconds, and my stomach's flying, and he's doing it with one arm and talking to me. I was completely focused to get to 161.
0: It is amazing how um, I've been fortunate enough to to race for a long time and then get some rides. And, you know, going 204 or 5 mile an hour in turn one at Vegas versus 160, you you wouldn't think that 40 mile an hour feels that difference, but it is a huge difference of what, (laughs) you know, that. Like sitting in a real race car that's you know tuned to, to do it, you know what I mean? It's crazy how much faster that is, and uh, that's not to downplay at all what you did because how many people get a chance to go 160 mile an hour in their life? It's not, not bad. Many. So that's really cool that you did that. You had the courage to do that. It's also really cool there was an opportunity to do that.
1: All right, Jeff. Say I wanted to ride along with you, and you wanted to really, really scare me. What course would you take me to?
0: Mm, I would take you to Bristol. Uh-huh. Half mile, super high banked, 15-second uh, laps, uh, crazy <laughs> intense. So, you know, there's some racetracks where you're going 200 miles an hour, and it feels like you're going 140. And there's other racetracks, yeah. like Bristol, where you're going 100, 140 miles an hour, and it feels like you're going 340.
3: And it, Jeff, it's,
0: it's sometimes the feeling of the speed that's so unique, and that's what Bristol would be. Bristol was just this crazy feeling of g-forces of of uh the pressures on your body driving through the corners the speed the acceleration the de-acceleration uh yeah if i if i wanted to just say okay this is what driving a race car is about that's where i take
2: some by Bristol. Jeff, I, I know you know this guy. I used to work back in the day with the great NASCAR writer David Poole, and he'd be like, yeah. Bristol Motor Speedway is a million-dollar go-kart track. That's the biggest <laughs> spectacle in sports because everyone should see it once in their <laughs> life. He would scream at the top of his lungs. All right, I have a theory, Jeff, and, you're again, you're a thinking man's driver. Like, I tried to ride in a NASCAR car for the first time. I think I was about age 39. I have a theory that that's one of those sports where you couldn't pick it up after probably age 25 because I think you have to unlearn fear as like a 10, 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old to become a great race car driver of any discipline. I don't think a a grown man, even a one who's fearless, could learn to be a a high-end NASCAR driver if he started later in life. I don't think
0: you could pick it up uh, at 16. I, I think that in today's world with the availability ability for younger drivers uh running go karts, uh midgets, uh just all kinds of things around the country, mm-hmm. you know, kids start racing at five, six, seven years old now. And so you get a guy that's that's really committed to it and really loves it and he's seventeen years old and he's raced for ten years. And yeah. I know you think well <laughs> he's been racing against kids but you have spotted him way too much time to catch up uh the the the, the era of drivers coming in at, at 15 at 16 17 18 is gone uh it's now happening well it's, it's like it's like you know minor league baseball, not minor league baseball um uh Pop Warner football and and right. little league baseball and, and it's that's what it's turned into so yeah if you're if you're uh i mean to be honest with you if you're not competing at a high level at 25 years old, you probably have no shot at this point. That's just the do, way do you it's think,
2: called. In all seriousness, my co-host here, Andrew Perloff, he drives on the highway every day to and from work. He's a 40-plus-year-old man. Do you think you could find a 7-year-old who could beat him in a midget racing uh, competition?
0: Anywhere in the country, I could find a 7-year-old that would beat
2: him. <laughs> <laughs> I have a 2018
0: <laughs>
1: Honda. I get up to 85 so tell, regularly.
0: This story. So, so my son... Uh, was racing quarter midgets and little small go-karts, okay? Right. The go-karts are roll cages on teeny, tiny little racetracks, okay? And so I'm going, and I'm, I see these parents, and even me, you know, like yelling at my kids saying, you know, come on, you got to do this better, you got to do that better. So I decided, well, what is it like to drive one of those? So I built one a little bigger so I could fit in it. Uh-huh. And, you know, this is at the, you know, not the prime of my career, but the highlight of my career. I got in that thing, and I'm going to tell you that I never complained again about my child driving (laughs) because it was so damn fast. And I encouraged anybody who had a kid that was racing to get in that thing and drive it, and they would never complain about their kid again. I got out there with my kid who was seven years old, and he beat me to a (laughs) pulp. (laughs) <laughs> so
2: you're, you're a great
0: I driver. I'm going to tell you, and I, Mark Martin had the same experience. Mark Martin did the same exact thing. And I'm telling you, like, it's crazy. Now, I'm not talking about it, but you get a really good 7-, 8-year-old, yeah, he would wear an adult out that doesn't have any racing
2: experience. Jeff, I think we've just stumbled on a new show for NBCSN for the off season. You find 7-year-old <laughs> drivers and take, like – 40, 50 year fifty-year-old men who think they know how to drive, and put them on a nice short track and see what happens. That's gold TV.
0: <laughs> it would be an interesting. Now I'm talking about in quarter midges. I'm not in real-sized cars, but I can I can bring some. Uh, I could bring some thirteen and fourteen-year-olds. Uh, full-size late models that would would, uh, would hurt your feelings pretty bad.
2: <laughs> that would be great. All right, we're all going to tune in this weekend, Las Vegas Motor Speedway, Saturday, 5 o'clock Eastern on NBCSN, and then Sunday, the big one, 3 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN, the first race of the 2018 Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series playoff. Jeff, thanks a lot for hanging out with us. Hey, thank you guys. Have a good day. A good day. Take care. That he, was, he was being nice.
1: Uh, he was being very nice. Yeah, The seven-year-old, could he, he could beat me even worse than he said. I mean – we would have no chance. If he can't beat a 7-year-old, how am I,
2: I going to beat a 7-year-old? Can you imagine being like seven, eight, nine and getting into racing as a child, how much fun that would be? Because we used to go go-karts at our local place. Where go-karts had, are awesome. Like batting cages and stuff. Remember you get like eight laps for $2 and it, yeah. was, it was just the greatest?
1: Yeah, and I and I loved bumper cars too. I was oh, really yeah. into bumper cars if you could ever find one of those.
2: If you could go back and do it, would you try, if, if you said you can mm. go back and your parents had the funds and you could try to become a race car driver. Do you think? Not me. I'm six foot four. Yeah, that would probably take me out, right? I think Michael Waltrip's about your height, but that's extreme. Yeah, but he's from
1: a racing family. No, nah, you know, I, I'm. You're much like you're much more into that kind of car thing than me. I'm much more of a utilitarian <laughs> driver.
2: Before we wrap it up, I got to do like you said that petty driving school out at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and I think. Jeff Burton would know better that Las Vegas Motor Speedway is top three in max speed you can get on a oh, really? track. Oh, really? I think you can get up to like— Why
1: is that? Because it's longer? Longer
2: straightaway. Yeah. It's all the banking. I, again, I don't know the details of this like Jeff Burton would. But um, the driver got me up to I think 161, and they said, that's it. We can't—we're we, not allowed to go faster. I don't think I could have gone faster because I was— completely rigid and focused the entire time. Mm. The weird thing was, I, I don't have driver's muscles. At the time, I didn't have driver muscles, mm. so I had to hold the wheel. Again, you're you're basically making straightaway, left turn, straightaway, left turn, straightaway, left turn, repeat, repeat. I had to have my left hand all the way on top of the wheel holding it with all my might, and I used my right hand at the bottom to steer, but my left hand was holding because of the G-forces, and I'm going at my mostly around 150, 155. Then I get in the car with Matt Kenseth. Matt Kenseth is about 30 pounds less than me and two inches shorter. I could pick him up. He should be, in theory, much weaker than I am as a a person, but he has driver muscles. So as he's driving, he's driving 10 and 2, and he's going 180 and talking to me while he's doing it.
1: Not stressed at all?
2: He was actually walking me through it going, here's the line you want to take right here. You want to go down here. You want to lift a little on the gas here. You want to just pause for a second. He's like a tutorial. And we're hitting 178 miles an hour at some of the straightaways. But he can do 30 miles an hour faster than that if he chose to. Wow. He's not going to do that with me in the car. But I go, how come you can hold the car 10 and 2? And I had to go all the way up and hold it with all my mm. might. He goes, you don't have driver muscles. Mm. He goes, give you a month, give yourself a month, and you'd be fine. You know who has driver muscles? Josh Norris. Just a call back to. A <laughs> <The> throwback to <laughs> earlier. A throwback. Roto World's Josh Norris. I, I think he enjoys coming up in here and hanging out with us. But I think every time he leaves, he says, you know, I, 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 there's baggage after I leave here.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, we definitely scar him a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I actually, I have been listening to his podcast, so I told him that. I think, you know, that's very nice. And, you know, it's nice to review a podcast if you like the podcast. Like leisureman Yeah. And, you know, what, what else is nice to listen to the live leisureman show. but
2: 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern on NBC Sports Radio?
1: Yeah, but so I'm spreading, the, nights. Wor- yeah, I'm spreading the word about the roto world. Podcast. I hope everybody spreads the world
2: about the Leisuremen. Well, I'm curious. We've had Josh Norris on the Leisuremen podcast and radio show three or four times. Mm-hmm. Neither of us have appeared on his show
1: yet. Well, I've heard that show. That is a hardcore fantasy football wonk show. You're a, That's you. No, 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 no. These, I mean, there's a particular set of person. Wonk show. That is like, <laughs> no, I'd be fine. I could totally, right. but, but no, you need like, I. you have to have a certain look. To be in the fantasy football industry uh, trust me it, you have to have a look
2: no offense but you may have it <laughs> 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 oh. i love you all right that's a leisureman podcast it was fun to have jeff burton on the great nascar commentator formerly a great driver i'm sure he still is a great driver tune in sunday at 3 p.m eastern mbcsn for the nascar playoffs they just get started they're not kicking off they're starting the engines oh can't they <laughs> kicking off yeah, but you, can you say they're starting the engines? Eh, we're a Leisureman. We're done. We're